0: This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. To the show, 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 show. This whole season, it's been the way the Mariners have finished. That has been the selling point, right? This team's ability to win late, whether it was comebacks, whether it was extra innings in one-run games... This earlier this week, it was erasing one-run deficits in the ninth inning, thanks to Ty France home runs. Yesterday's game, the Mariners started well. It was their inability to finish finish scoring opportunities in the first, and then in the fourth, when the bases were left loaded, inability for Yusay Kikuchi to finish the sixth inning. He pitched the first five so well, and then the wheels came off. Paul,
1: yeah, they did, and you wonder what it is that. Caused that start right before the All-Star game, him to be so damn tentative against New York. I mean, he was pitching great. And in that game, I just remember he was so deferential to guys like Aaron Judge. That second half out of the game where he didn't even throw a strike. And since then, it's just been a different Kikuchi. Now, I don't know if if it had anything to do with whatever uh, illness Kikuchi had that he thought might be COVID right before the All-Star break. And if that maybe got him out of his rhythm or into a funk or something like that, but whatever the case, he has gone from being the guy that you look at as the de facto number one in your rotation to like Logan Gilbert, a guy that you're looking at and wondering if he's not reliable, but if he's going to be able to hold off using the bullpen and keep the Mariners within a game so that they don't have to score a ton of runs because we all know that they're not very capable of doing that.
0: Well, after the game, Scott Service was asked about in the sixth inning where he had uh, a reliever warming up, as as Yusei Kikuchi pretty early on in that inning was having trouble starting batters with strikes. He was asked whether, and the the way the question was phrased to him by a member of the Japanese press was whether he had, had sort of lost confidence in Kikuchi. Uh, Scott immediately tried to clarify that.
1: Time out, time out, time out. No, okay. that's not the case at all. Okay. So don't, don't try to put those words in my mouth. You say has been really good for us. Very consistent. Their best hitters coming to the plate with the bases loaded. Okay. In the sixth inning of the ball game. So we put what I thought was our best matchup and our best pitcher into the game at that point. Okay. You say did a nice job to get us to that point. It was not a matchup that, you know, I thought was very favorable for us at the time with you say back out there. With Salvador Perez, who who does have thirty four runs, brought Joe Smith in. He made a mistake, and he hit a home run. That happens, okay. But don't put words in my mouth. That's not fair.
0: reason, Scott yeah, the reason Scott's defensive is because he's he's looking at a characterization of all of a sudden he got or has has lost faith in in a pitcher when Scott's trying to point out, look, he just walked a batter on four pitches. He hadn't. He'd started He had not not had a single swing and miss in that inning so far. He'd given up a hit on a one zero pitch, a single on the first pitch he offered, and then had a one zero pitch doubled before walking a guy on four pitches. He decided to bring in Joe Smith. Bases are loaded. He brings in Joe Smith, and the result was a grand slam home run that ended up uh, putting the putting putting the Royals on top. Scott made the right decision there. I don't have any issue with, with sort of the, the pitching change. If anything, Scott accurately foresaw that, hey, just because he's thrown 62 pitches through five innings doesn't mean that I can count on on him cruising through the sixth. I better be ready because this is an important game for us. And I, I know the recent results from my pitcher.
1: Right, and if they're not good pull him out don't leave him in there to continue to get beaten up because if you want to get that guy's confidence back on track that is not the way to do it you know especially when things are going that way sure maybe he gets one out but what happens if he's not able to get the next one or the next one if if there are a couple of outs or or even one it's a totally different situation but as you said it was from the get-go in that inning not good the problem was just joe smith is also at at a point where. You know that's not exactly the ideal person to be bringing in in that situation. It was just an early point in the game, and that's the guy that you're going to turn to at that point.
0: Last week we were talking about how great the Mariners' starting pitching has been, mm-hmm. and it has been great entire month of August. It's it's been absolutely fantastic. Probably can't expect it to continue. There's probably going to be a little oh, bit. Yeah. And right now, right now it looks like you say Kikuchi and Logan Gilbert are the guys that are whether you want to say coming back to earth or regressing, whatever you're not getting the same, the same performances from those two specifically later. Marco Gonzalez has significantly picked up his performance. is pitching like, frankly, we expected him to in the first half of the season Which when he never massive. really got going. Tyler Anderson has been a huge add, and Chris Flexen has continued to be the most statistically consistent starting pitcher on, on, on this team.
1: As long as you got three, you're in good shape. That's at least how I feel. And those other two, there's, I think, potential for maybe not Gilbert because he's a rookie. Don't expect too much. When a guy's starting to go through some of the issues that he's going through, it's going to be hard to pull out of it. But... With Kikuchi, you do feel like there is at least the potential for him to snap out of this. It's just got to happen sooner rather than later. And the Royals are one of those teams that you would expect to be that team. Outside of Salvador Perez, you're not looking at, and um, uh, (laughs) the guy that the Mariners, uh, excuse me, that the Royals wanted, Julio Rodriguez for Whitfield, right? Uh, (laughs) Outside of that, like it's, yeah, it's an okay lineup, you know, but that's one of the ones that you should be able to get your confidence, your mojo back with.
0: Yeah and man the Royals the Royals played great defense last oh, night. God. Uh Whit Merrifield and then in, in the infield but then specifically uh Ben Intendi who robbed a home run from Jared Kelnick in the in the 8th inning and a couple other uh balls that were run down in that outfield. Don't forget tonight is sing along fireworks night just a fun Friday night at the ballpark watching great baseball. Find tickets at mariners.com. I'll be out there. Now the Mariners did lose ground on the Red Sox who currently hold the second Wild card spot. Uh, the the Red Sox won, so they are now three and a half games ahead of the, the Mariners. The A's were beaten by the Yankees, who have now is it reeled off twelve in a row? Yeah. I think it's like the that that franchise's longest win streak in like sixty years. They're it's scary absurd, right what now. What they what what they've put together. Uh, but the so that means they're still a game back of the A's. The this isn't that isn't some sort of make or break moment with the Royals. But you you are gonna in in any sort of situation where you've got a closing stretch where you've got to outpace teams like you you need to be able to win 2 of 3 and you just went on a road trip where you went 6 and 2 but the rest of this series you got to win 2 of these next 3 games against the royals I, I if you you you're looking three. at how to project it
1: don't you don't you feel like they got to win 3 i mean this is a team that you're capable of winning 3 against i think more often it's, than
0: not. Al- it's always hard to project baseball that way, right? True. Because even the worst team, even the worst teams, are going to win one out of every three games. Like even even the worst teams in the league, and the the Royals have played better baseball of late. They were competitive yep. against the Astros. Like they've been a much tougher team. And you saw it last night. Salvador Perez is a legit stud. Salvador Perez who hits hits the go ahead, absolutely absolute stud. They play great defense. They've got young athletic players. So there's there's no gimmies here. But the the, the you just lose wiggle room. Somebody's going to be winning. The, the good news is that the A's lost. The bad news is, well, that puts the Yankees, who beat them, a game ahead of you. And the Red Sox won, so they put a little distance as well.
1: I was listening to the TV broadcast. It is fun to keep track of all these other oh, things. great. I mean, it's the first time that we've been able to do that in a really long time. So I was glad that that was brought up. But then it highlights the moments where you have opportunities. What did you think of Jared Kelnick's at bat with the bases loaded? Someone brought this up a little bit earlier on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text where he line. he took 7, the 10, third 7, strike. Yeah, I mean, I like that he has been a lot more patient at the plate. But there's also at some point going to come a point where pitchers probably realize that he is being a little bit more patient than he had been, and they can probably deliver some strikes to said person and not expect a swing.
0: Here's what I worry about. I I worry about how demonstrative he is in reacting to it toward umpires. And it's not because I think that that's outside his personality. I I think Jared is pretty intense, and I think he has a really good eye. But you've seen him get upset with umpires and he doesn't have much experience in the league so that that part of it his strikeouts have gone down that's a really good sign his his strikeouts have gone down and i don't want him to become someone who 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 doesn't who is not aggressive at the plate and i don't think that's what it is but my reaction after that is i don't know if 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 arguing that i don't know if arguing that close third strike is going to be something that ultimately helps uh jared kelnick
1: Yeah, I don't either. And that's just how he operates. You would think that
0: he had learned from the last time around. At least he didn't get ejected, I guess. The Seahawks have their final preseason game. It is a little different this year because there are only three preseason games. They play the Los Angeles Chargers on Saturday. Our training camp coverage presented by Precor Home Fitness. I I I will be watching because I do think we're going to see the starters for some of it. We're probably going to get our best glimpse of your, your starting offensive line. I would expect Kendall Fuller to be at center, and then I think you're going to see Jamarco Jones start at left tackle. The the news yesterday about Dwayne Brown and, and Mike Garafalo of the NFL network saying that maybe the Seahawks can get a little bit creative there and sweeten the final year of Dwayne Brown's contract, even if they're not going to, to add to it. That remains kind of the big outstanding question. But this should be should be our first chance to really get a glimpse of what what we what we might expect from the offense if Russell Wilson does get out there. Because so far, we, we have yeah. not seen we – have, we haven't even gotten a hint of what their offense is going to look like. And, and part of it has just been they can't sustain
1: drives. You know? It's been bad. Not just that the starters haven't been out there. They can't move the football when the starters aren't out there. Which, again, that's not the end of the world. But if you want to, as Michael Puppet said in the last hour, have that kind of dress rehearsal moment – you need to sustain drives so that you can do some of the tempo things, the rhythm things that the Seahawks under Waldron seem to want to do in a way that they haven't done in years past. Though we have heard them say these same things about rhythm and tempo with Brian Schottenheimer in charge,
0: too. If you're this deep into in training camp and in your preseason schedule, are, are you better off just not showing anything? Like even when that first unit, if you play Probably. some of your starters, not not doing anything that that resembles what you're going to look like when the season starts, you do have a little bit. You have a little. This is your one opportunity as a team to have a surprise, right? This is the one time of year when you can actually have uh, a, a a little bit of of, of subterfuge. You, they don't necessarily know what you're going to look like because you have a new coordinator, right? And.
1: If you tip anything, I suppose they're so they're so paranoid, though, right? I mean, you can run simple stuff and, and, and just try to execute vanilla plays and get first downs, because honestly, I, I would just say run a simple play, get first downs, and, and the thing I want to see more than anything is just how this team comes out of the huddle, how quickly they're getting to the line, how quickly are they calling plays. And, and I don't think that you necessarily have to reveal anything by doing that.:
0: No. Do you want to have the, your offense have some a little bit of of optimism and 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 rhythm going in? Do you want them to have a good taste in their in, in their mouth or does it not matter? I I it probably doesn't matter.
1: You know, if if they're, if half the league isn't even playing their starters for the entirety of the preseason, then it probably doesn't. It would help. I I, I like I don't think it necessarily hurts to try on the, it, but the only thing that you're nervous about that's injuries. That's it. And you, you can't predict those and for it to happen in a game that doesn't mean anything is just tragic
0: when that happens. It's funny to me that it's changed so much around the league so quickly, where half half the starting quarterbacks in the league haven't played in the preseason so yeah. far. And some of those guys, Justin Herbert's not playing on Saturday night. He's not going to play in the preseason. I Aaron Rodgers has played one preseason game since 2018. Almost all the top receivers that saw the stat that have the top ten players in receiving yardage last season. Only two have played in the preseason so far, and that's the couple of Chiefs. That's Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey, who's Andy, Andy Reid's done his own. The only thing I can think is that we have seen more more data that's been available on player movement, and, and, and it must be that coaches have concluded that it's not just the injuries, but the wear and tear of playing in a preseason game the way it affects the following practice week that they're better off not doing it because this has been a sudden in five years it's gone from regularly starters play in three preseason games they get a series in the first game they they play play most of the first half in the second game they play in
1: the whole they
0: play into the second half in the third game and then don't play the fourth game to basically none of the stars most teams don't play starters unless they really have a quarterback competition they want to sort out
1: it feels like there's a load management effect that has translated from sport to sport and and maybe that's why you're seeing some of the younger coaches operating that way where Andy Reid Bill Belichick they are putting their starters out there for the game so it, i think i think that's part of it i think it's just a generational movement with the younger coaches that are coming into the league and probably thinking oh this doesn't really matter as much and now that there's an extra game added to the beginning or excuse me to the end of the season you know you got 17 games now All right, that does give you a little bit more of a leeway, I guess, for some losses and for some growing pains in the first four or five weeks of the season. A lot of teams, I think, are looking at that stretch as a a time to iron out some potential issues to figure out some things about some good players along the way. So um, it it is interesting, though. I mean, shoot, Danny, in the movie Invincible, (laughs) I, I was just blown away by the fact that they were playing six preseason games back in the day. I mean, imagine that. How many guys were probably getting hurt in the preseason back then when they weren't even making any money? So I I, I suppose at the very least we are getting closer and closer to having less of these games that that don't seem to matter a great deal.
0: It is Danny and Gallant. It is time for us to go around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. Gallant. Today's an exceptional day. It's a Blue Friday. That's Mora, what's going on?
2: Who isn't, you know, a fan of having to watch preseason games.
1: Yeah.
0: It's still a Blue Friday. Wait, it's, who doesn't want to watch preseason games? I don't like that
1: preseason games are on Saturday nights. <laughs>
2: I want <laughs> to have a life. You
1: a busy social schedule. Yes, I do. Well, I, come on. What's what's wrong with that? Why can't you do a Saturday afternoon? Why can't I have my Saturday nights? I'm going to be writing a blog until 1 in the morning (laughs) tomorrow night. I know. My job is covering sports. I am definitely someone who is whining at this point in time. But why does it have to be at 7 o'clock at night? Anyway.
0: Let's go around the NFL. All
2: right. uh, First up, guys. uh, So I'll I'll play you a cut of what Scott Zolak, uh, the Patriots color analyst, said on the Sports Hub in Boston today. And then Jake Heaps just tweeted out a cut that I have for you guys. It's a reminder of something really dumb he said in the past about Russell Wilson as well. So first up, this was Scott Zolak on the Sports Hub talking about Cam Newton today.
1: i turn off the rap music, first of all, because I think it's distracting for Cam here. Because in between every throw, he's dancing. He, he, yeah, he makes a throw, and then the music's still cranking. I know you can hear it
0: uh, faintly in the background here. I think it's distracting uh, for you.
1: No, it's when they play Bon Jovi. That's yeah. like the only thing. No, i that. Okay, but he can't help himself to where Mac looks uh. like he came to work again. Like he's here to work, and everything's attention to detail. I can't. But that. But, eight, it, but again, Cam is that? Style. What, what well, is going to say? Is that atypical? That none of this sounds this atypical. Nothing different. From Cam. Yeah. nothing different. Yeah. Okay. Different. Okay. For context's sake, Zolak has been pushing for Mac Jones to be the starter for the entirety of this preseason. But for more context's sake. Cam Newton has said himself that he is impressed by Mac Jones' knowledge of rap music. So, what are we talking well, about here? And
2: for more context, this is the cut that Jake Heaps just tweeted about. Uh, it's a call of a game that Scott Zolak did in the past. By now American. it's 23-16 to 16 with the extra point coming up and a touchdown could beat you.
1: I mean, you're making Russell Wilson look like a quarterback, which he's not.
0: Oof.
2: So that's who we're dealing with.
0: Come on. That that idea that oh it, he's distracted by rap music, like there's also there's also a, a different layer to this that's going on. Like there's also a different. I mean it's just a coincidence uh, that that yeah. Zolak is talking about that about the black quarterback. Like oh that's and praising Mac Jones and ripping Russell Wilson, saying he you're making him look like a quarterback that he's not. Like that's yeah whatever. Should, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call shenanigans on that. Like that's speaking in dog whistles. That's what he's doing.
1: It's a stupid take, whatever the case. Yeah. Comes out of Boston, too, and not a lot of benefit of the doubt given because of that. If you're looking for reasons to bench Cam Newton, it's all about last year and bring that up. About him throwing
0: the ball down the field. It has nothing to do with him dancing between plays. It
1: doesn't does because if he
0: was playing well you could sit there and say oh he's so loose and he's so was he dancing to plays between uh, r- 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 to to music between plays when he won an MVP no. like it's dumb it's it's fixating on something that doesn't matter and making it seem more important and oh by the way it's a stereotype
2: I've seen guys dancing between plays in game you see it a lot on like special teams
1: right I I don't think it's a deal at all that a guy is dancing in between plays I mean shoot I I think we saw it with a couple of uh, I saw it with Deshaun Watson before, but I also saw it with like Alex Magoo
0: at training camp. Yeah. You know,
1: like
2: you, don't you play music at training camp to make it more fun?
0: Bring some energy. Yeah, that's terrible. Scott Zolak is a moron. Sum that up perfectly. <laughs>
2: All right, the NFL has proposed increasing its COVID-19 testing cadence for vaccinated players. They want to move testing from once every 14 days, which they're doing right now, to once every seven days. But they need approval from the NFLPA first.
1: They might have to because if you're getting positive tests with vaccinated players, like we've seen from a couple of Tennessee Titans. Right. Ryan Tannehill most uh, recently, I mean, he's double vaxxed then, yeah, it makes sense to go back to what it was. I'm sure a lot of players, though, are going to be ticked off about it because they were told that, hey, if you're double vaxxed, you can operate with a larger degree of freedom than you were able to last season. That's the Delta variant and the reaction to the Delta variant, which is more transmissible, if not necessarily more deadly.
0: There's a couple of different things that are going to happen here. It is the right thing to test more frequently because a way to minimize the spread and it is spreading because people who have been vaccinated, it it appears are like the Delta variant is more capable of both being contracted and transmitted by people who've been vaccinated than than the initial strain of COVID-19. And people, that doesn't mean that the vaccine isn't working. It means that, Hey, the vaccine doesn't guarantee that you're not going to be able to to spread it. And it appears with the Delta variant that the, the viral loads are higher. And you're going to have more people that test positive. And if that happens, you're going to have outbreaks on teams, even where the majority or the, the all of the players even could be vaccinated. It's happened in baseball. People need to be prepared for that reality.
1: Right, and, and the unfortunate thing is, too, it's asymptomatic, I would say, largely with those who have been vaccinated. But if you're testing positive and there are unvaccinated players on the team, that's the danger, there's liability, all that stuff. And I would just say that as far as the Seahawks goes, <laughs> I'm talking about it exclusively from an availability, what's best for the football team standpoint. It is very good for the Seahawks that the majority of this team
0: is vaccinated. All, all but one is what Pete Carroll said.
1: Right. And if that's the case, then we should You've not done the
0: best you can.
1: Right. Exactly. And you shouldn't have any last minute scratches. And honestly, that's that's all I care about this season from a football perspective exclusively.
2: All right, the team hasn't made it official yet, but Adam Schefter is reporting what uh, everyone already kind of knew would be the right decision. But you never know with Sean Payton's love for Taysom Hill, <laughs> it looks like Jameis Winston has been named the Saints' starting quarterback.
0: How, Not wha- surprised. I still think it's weird how how smitten Payton is with Taysom Hill. Like it's just so funny. Like Sean Payton is considered one of the smarter and more um, more cutting edge coaches. And yet he, be, he is adamant about believing that there's value in Taysom Hill, a player that most people who are into advanced measurements of play effectiveness think is a fairly bad quarterback.
1: Yeah, but Jameis Winston throws a lot of interceptions. Taysom Hill is someone that Peyton loves. How quick do you think the trigger is going to be?
0: I just think you're still going to – I think Jameis becomes the starter and you still see Taysom Hill like 6-12 to 12 offensive snaps a game coming in in wildcat formation. That's what I think happens.
1: Yeah, I, and I could see that happening. I, I don't know that, that that necessarily gives the Saints, though, a better chance at winning, you know? Like, okay, great. Taysom Hill looks decent against the Minnesota Vikings in the playoffs, right? Or, But at the same time, what else is he bringing to you? And what – Are you paying him for You're paying him a ton of money for, what, 6 to 12 snaps when you're in cap hell? His love of Hill still perplexes, but
0: this was the right decision. It is Danny Glunt. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We've got a Friday edition of Are You Buying It? That's coming up next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and ourselves. Paul Gallant. All we're doing is breeding a whole new generation of buyers and sellers, buyers and sellers. Can we sell now? It doesn't look good in my portfolio. I'm out. All right, you ready to buy or sell? Sure. An auction-style bid. All you have to do is raise your paddle if you'd like to bid. You ever been in one? Yeah, I've never done one. Really? It's a little stressful.
1: I'm too cheap for that.
0: (laughs) I ended up. I ended up buying. Yeah, our buddy NASA, NASA Chobe had a fundraiser for. uh, It was a a school project. Yeah, I ended up buying tickets to a Seahawks game. Ooh, which yeah, I took my little nephew. He screamed his head off. It was pretty fun. That's awesome. Big head. All right. It's time for us He does have a big head It is time It is time for us to do Buying and selling We're going to start off With Damian Lewis Great rookie season Really promising rookie Out of LSU But he's going from Right guard To left guard This year He was asked about That transition Here's his answer
2: It was balanced You know at first I was training The out At right guard and, You know never played Left guard So uh, I just Came here you know Just flipping it in my mind You know found balance So now overall I feel great you know, I feel like I play either position, center, right guard, left guard. So, you
0: know, it's just a balance now. Are you buying it? Is this is, is switching from the right to the left side something he's never done going to not be a big deal?
1: Well, this is one of those things where I would generally defer to our uh, offensive lineman cognoscenti Ray Roberts. But, yeah, I, I, I do buy that switching from one side to the other could be an issue. We know it's definitely an issue at tackle. I can imagine moving from right guard, where you were your rookie year, to left guard can have a bit of an adjustment period, and I think he can actually take care of it, but there's certainly going to be, I would imagine, some growing pains as he feels out just being on that side of the offensive line, and also having a different center in Kyle Fuller, potentially in between he and Gabe Jackson.
0: Yeah, I think this, this could be a challenge. I think, I think Damian Lewis is good, though. I, like I think ultimately, I think ultimately, it comes down to the quality of the player more than the challenge of the position switch. I and, and I, I think I think Damian Lewis is going to do just fine. He's still got a fat dude on either side of him. He's he's he doesn't have to he doesn't have to feel that uncomfortable about what what he's doing. It's not it's not a tackle the tackle because of the drop step you have to use because you're it's it's entirely different. I would assume that it's a little more it's a little tougher because the tackle has one open side. He has one open side where he has no help or usually won't have help or has to be prepared to not have help around the outside. And the guard, the guard, you still, you're still flanked by fatties on either side. You should, you, it should give you some company. All right, we settled that one. Now Robert Kimdiche, who joined uh, Wyman and Bob yesterday, really engaging interview. He's been banged up at times in training camp. Here is a former first-round pick. Alden Smith did not stick. Is is Kim Diche going to he he was asked about making the most of this second chance after his his first tenure in the NFL with with the Arizona Cardinals who drafted him in the first round did not pan out over time you know having a focus and 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 buy into who what, the kind of player I wanted to be when I got here and and kind of refocus in my my uh my my vision of me you know what I mean and 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 I want to change, I wanted to change the narrative. And so, uh, you know, it's been, it's been everything I wanted it to be. It's been exciting. It's been, uh, it's been, it's been uh, humbling. It's been a constant, you know, just, just, just form of evolution for me. And so I'm just happy about that and happy to be in this position and have this headspace and this opportunity.
1: I'm rooting for him. Mm-hmm. I like that he said along the way there, it's been humbling. Yep. I'm going to sell this.
0: Okay.
2: So, so.
1: We haven't seen it from him yet in the, in the yeah. NFL, and I, while I would love to, I mean, that's a really competitive group right now on the defensive line, and I don't think there's anyone that you look at and you say, oh, this guy's the odd man out, because Rasheem Green, maybe he would have been that guy, but he's having a really good preseason in training camp. Benson Mayo is going to make this team. Kerry Hyder's is going to make this team. Alton Robinson is going to make this team. And you keep on going down the list. Brian Monet played well for you last year. Puna Ford played well for you last year. Where does he fit in? And who can he actually supplant? I don't know who.
0: If they don't bring in Geno Atkins, does he make it?
1: He's got a better chance, but I, I feel like that's something the Seahawks
0: would likely want to do at the end of training camp. Seattle has... Offered guys second chances. An, another opportunity at, at sort of an NFL career. Sometimes it's really worked out. Mike Williams, at least in 2010, that first year, it went fantastic. You could, you could throw Marshawn Lynch in the same category because Buffalo was moving on from him. But I think people around the league still, I, I, I think people around the league would have believed in Marshawn. If Marshawn was available, uh, the, the ability to, people would have, were coveting him. Like that wasn't that wasn't somebody who everybody was like yeah pass um, like like Kim DJ. Unfortunately, he hasn't been on the like we haven't seen it. So he's a guy to watch. He's going to have to do something on Saturday night, and I'm not even sure if he's going to play, but he's going to have to do something to to show them that he needs to that that he's ready to make an impact. Do you think one
1: preseason game can can earn a guy a roster spot in today's NFL?
0: At this position, yeah. Because where's your depth at defensive tackle? You got Puna Ford. Very much. Right. Carry Hyder's gonna play some there. Brian Monet is probably your starter right now, but he could like that's that's not a spot in because Alden Smith is not here, and while Alden Smith was playing more edge, I I, I think there's I think there's a chance for him because of that. Look, they're looking at Geno Atkins, so they're looking for someone to fill that defensive tackle role. The next one, we're going to move a little bit to the front of the depth chart, and a guy that we haven't seen so far this preseason, but someone who got a new contract in the offseason, is Puna Ford. Here's his teammate, Benson Mayoa, talking about Puna.
2: Man, I, to be honest, when I seen him, I'm like, damn, he playing the nose, but, man, that dude is, is you, you guys see him. You see something else, he's special. Um, comes out here and works every day, you know, in the game, you know, you know
0: what you, you're going to get from him um and, and punas 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 a great great player and he's only getting better. Is puna, puna Ford a special player? He's a starter. He's a really good starter. Is he a special player? We've heard this before, haven't we? Mhm.
1: My hope is yes. If I've heard it Are before, you buying it? If I if I've heard it before what's a special player? Isn't special player like Chris Jones level, you know? No.
0: Well, no. Chris Chris Jones is a franchise tag player. A guy that could get pro bowl consideration. A guy that's going to be a starter here for five or six more years. To me, that's a special player defensive tackle. If Jaron Reed can get
1: 10-plus sacks in a the season, then I, I feel like a lot of defensive tackles could potentially. So I, I think he has the potential to be that. I guess I'm not going to go so far as to say, yes, he is. I, I, I want to see it happen, but I can buy into the idea of him eventually being one.
2: There's no layaway option,
0: Paul. Then I'm selling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm buying it. I'm buying it. I think Puna Ford's going to be—I think he is going to be the guy that we talk about making. He and Jordan Brooks, I think, will notice Brooks more because of the tackles this year. He plays that playmaker spot, but I think Puna Ford is going to be someone that we're talking about as one of their best defensive linemen at the end of the season.
1: We have heard a lot about Puna Ford over the years. This, and this is not me knocking him, by the way. This actually goes to show you that he jumps off the screen as a defensive tackle. So I definitely think it's possible. But I, I don't want to really put too much on any of these defenders at this point in time until i actually seeing it happen. The only one on the defensive line, Danny, that I'm willing to really put some extra expectations upon is that of Kerry Hyder, who seems to be everything that you want out of a defensive lineman, nonstop motor, the guy who actually has been productive but also hasn't been productive enough to merit extensions in a place like San Francisco, who in Detroit has the injury, he comes back from it and all that. So, Hyder's the only one that I'm looking at right now. And, and, and obviously, Carlos Dunlap is involved there, too. And you, you know what he is. But th- that's the guy that I'm, that's a newcomer and that has been there that I feel like can make that leap. Puna Ford remains to be seen. I am obviously rooting for it.
0: From the pocket, and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. It's time for us to wrap things up. Not just the show of the week. Right? It's over! Almost Is training ca- training camp done after this, yeah. Final preseason game, and then we got two weeks to build up to the regular season opener. Yes, we do. Let's go. Let's get ready to fire this up. Ow! More, more where's your? Are you raising? Are you throwing? Are you picking up a flag? What are you doing today?
2: Yeah, I'm going to raise a flag for Scott's service. I just loved seeing him get passionate and emotional again in uh, defending Yusei Kikuchi yesterday. Uh, you can just tell how much he cares about this team and every player on it, and I hope that he gets manager of the year.
1: I do too, and I feel like him standing up in the way that he did for Scott for uh, for Yusei Kikuchi there. That's one of the examples that you want to see out of a guy that has been, I think, as behind his players from the beginning of this year to where he is now as service.
0: I loved the fact that he's just assertive like hey this is the decision I made and it doesn't have anything to do with me feeling not confident in him. That point in the game it's the 6th inning. They had the bases loaded and their best hitter up and I went with what I thought was a better matchup. I thought it was great that he just was that clear. And being a clear communicator, I think is a huge part of being a manager. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. I like how fiery he fiery he is. I think his team I, I think his team reflects that personality. I do too and
1: I, I, I think comments like this only serve to increase that love that they have for him and uh, you know just to go back again to something we saw earlier this week, I mean we're even seeing him like smiling in the dugout. Uh, he, he likes it here. In fact, I I would venture to say he loves it here, and sounds like things are progressing as far as him being here long term, Jerry Depoto being here long term. So, good. And great to have him stand up for a guy in Yusei Kikuchi who honestly probably needs somebody
0: in his corner right now. I'm going to... It's throwing a flag, but it's really because of how much this amuses me. This is on the University of Louisville. If you are looking for the most corrupt basketball program ever, I I I don't I don't know if there's any other choice. And there's yet another. Even the the excision, even cutting Rick Pitino out, has not removed all of the shenanigans at that program. Have you the latest one? Chris Mack, who is now their coach, has been suspended six games by the school for the way that he followed up on an attempt of one of his assistants to blackmail him. Wait, what? Yeah, exactly. So his assistant coach, a guy named Dino Gaudio, who some people might remember him because he used to be the Wake Forest coach. After that, he went to ESPN for a while. So he he didn't get his contract renewed. He came back to the school and said, look, unless you pay me, and I think it was like his full salary, $450,000 for for a full year that unless 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 you pay me that i'm gonna snitch on a bunch of recruiting violations like and it was like illicit stuff like stupid ncaa stuff like the use of production making videos to lure recruits using graduate assistants in practice like dumb little like picky stuff like that so so gaudio got charged for trying to extort him because you can't do that like you can't go to someone and say, "Hey, if you unless unless you unless you do the unless you pick up uh, the my salary and pay me for that, you're gonna have to you you're you're gonna have to, uh, to to carry the freight for it." Look, you can't do that. But he got suspended six games for how he did that. He got suspended six games for how he reported it.
1: That's nuts. You would think that the NCAA at some point in time would. I don't know, look at itself in the mirror and say, like, wait, we're going to come down to the guy who's retaliating against somebody who's trying to blackmail him? I mean, that's the most understandable
0: thing in the world, right? It means Mac did something shady when it was reported to him. Yeah. That's what it means that Mac did something. He was, like, either tried to cover up the recruiting violations that he committed or all of those other things. It means that not not only did he get extorted, but he resorted to below the belt behavior when it came to extortion, which is about what you'd expect from that school, which once uh, was was uh, had hired escorts to yeah. to entertain recruits. No big deal. I like that they stay on brand.
1: You want to have a villainous program in college sports, and Louisville, even with Rick Pitino, long long gone, is 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 still trying to do it. Hopefully, though, to, to be the epitome of a perfect villain, you gotta have wins. You gotta play well. And uh, they're not exactly doing that these days. Paul, your flag. I am going to throw a flag at Scott Zolak, who is a radio host in Boston, because Scott Zolak feels that Cam Newton is, well, I guess, dancing too much. At practice, and this is the reason that I think he believes that Cam Newton is distracted. There are lots of hints of things along the way that you can make your own interpretations of. I, I would just say, from this perspective, if you want Mac Jones to be the starter, you don't need to go pointing to stupid examples like this. You don't need to point at Cam Newton just being himself at practice, in between plays, dancing around. Wait, what? How is that a problem? What is wrong with that? What amongst the things that Cam Newton has done, where would that rank as far as reasons that he shouldn't be a quarterback? And I would say that it ranks pretty low compared to just last year. Just talk about last year, Scott, if you don't want to have, have him as your quarterback this coming season, or talk about how good Mac Jones is. But this is just like one of those casual aside comments that wasn't necessary at all to make his point.
0: It was pretty lame. It's just, and it falls into such lazy stereotyping too. Like that's, that's the thing. And it makes you, it makes you beg that question of, well, why, why, why is he picking that point of all the different things to complain about or point to? That's what it is. Right. Him dancing to rap music. They're playing rap music out there. A texter says, "Paul, if you're dancing around the office
1: all the time, people will look at you and think you're not focused on your job." Well, what if there's music blaring on the loudspeakers over and over again? I'm just supposed to like say, "Oh, I can't, I can't shake my hips to this beat." Come on,
0: it's goofy. That's going to There's plenty us. of
2: Seahawks dancing at practice.
0: Yeah, yes. Want to want to want to say thank you to Michael Bumpus for joining us in the eight o'clock hour. The professor John Clayton earlier this morning. Uh, more Dooley for keeping everything. Front and center, as she always does. And he is Paul Gallant. Yeah, he'll put a little boogie into it. There's no wrong with that. There's no shame in his game, especially at a wedding.
1: (laughs) He is Danny O'Deal. And this or that. This or that. He enjoys that. And this. And puns. (laughs) So long. Farewell. Happy Blue Friday. Have yourselves a wonderful weekend. And up next, it's just me. My question of today's show Would you pick up Yusei Kikuchi's option with the way that he's been pitching of late? We'll talk about his struggles next.